So while we're talking to the end users, individuals, well, maybe that will be on the public network or Wi-Fi. But when we have devices that we want to ensure that are active, whether that is a sensor system like we do at the Olympic Training Center, um, where, where we're going to activate an entire environment where there's a lot of people, but our devices that are dedicated on our system that's programmed and collecting data across, they need to be connected at all times. Welcome to GXC's Monday Meshup, a podcast that gives you an inside look at GXC, our private cellular network platform, GXC Onyx, and the latest company news to enable a world where enterprises can trust wireless connectivity to be simple. Today, we have a special guest, Eric Piontegar, CEO and founder of Spark Compass, talking to GXC's Marco Hernandez about his incredible journey from working at NASA to owning a makeup company with the common denominator of leveraging data. Spark Compass is all about solutions to enable intelligent data with purpose to improve outcomes. Hello, this is Marco Hernandez with the GXC Monday Meshup. Today, uh, we're getting to talk to Eric Biontengard. He is the president and founder of Spark Compass, and we are ecstatic to have him on the show today. Eric, how are you doing? Oh, I like to say that I'm living a dream, uh, and that's exactly what we're doing. It's dreaming. That's right. We don't know if it's a simulation or not, but at least we, we have you on the air today, at least. Indeed, indeed. It's a pleasure to be here, honor to be here, and I'm excited about this. Well, great. Before um, we get, you know, kicking off with uh, Spark Compass, I'd love to hear a little bit about yourself, Eric. Uh, You know, what's your background? Um, How'd you get to this point uh, of where you are, you know, a founder of of an organization here? Yeah, cool. As you can tell from my last name, I'm uh, of Norwegian descent. I grew up in Norway, went to university in England uh, and came to, to San Diego after watching a movie in 1986. Can you guess what movie that was? 1986. Uh, that's that's I know it's hard to guess. That's tough. There's a lot of movies. A lot of movies. <laughs> it, it could be it could be before you were born, right? Uh, the original Top Gun. Top Gun, nice. Yeah, yeah. So when I saw Top Gun and I said, you know, wow, look at those planes. I was I was a mechanical engineer. Uh, I worked in subsea robotics, but I was a big fan of uh, fighter jets. F-14 Tomcat was my favorite. Uh, so I saw the Tomcat. I saw the beaches, and I saw the beautiful people there, and I decided I'm moving there. So I moved to San Diego, didn't know anybody, um, and rather quickly got a job uh, being a rocket scientist. I got to work on the, on the space shuttle, uh, and I'm so old, as you can see, I have a lot of gray hairs. Um, this was the days when we were building and designing things with ink and vellum. So uh, I was a rocket scientist testing the space shuttle and my favorite plane, the F-14s. Uh, thereafter, um, a uh, Airbus, McDonnell Douglas, Boeing, uh, internal dynamics fighter jets. Um, so I had a lot of fun with that. But uh, as life changes, I, I decided to try something different. And it's natural going from subsea robotics to deep space to go into fashion and makeup. <laughs> so I went into fashion and makeup, right? <laughs> so that's kind of cool. So that's where I'm so utterly confused. I've been working in real estate development. And lately, uh, I became a uh, long stories around that, but I became a scientist or sorry, an executive at uh, Qualcomm. You know, Qualcomm is a great telecommunication company. Uh, at the time, we were spending four point five million dollars, billion dollars, sorry, 
4.5 billion dollars in R&D and I was part of the team that were taking new technologies to market and that's why I'm in this space now that was a long story but kind of a confused background Norway space deep sea fashion makeup real estate and now telecommunications. Oh, that's awesome. Well, speaking of Top Gun, did you see the uh, the new one? Oh, it's awesome, right? It's good. Uh, it's, it's good. So cool. I, uh, <laughs> I was uh, surprised uh, at how good it was. I know, like, right? It's it's one of those things where you go in and you hope that it's going to be as good as the first one, and you have kind of lower expectations that that's going to happen. But it did. Yeah, they nailed it. It was awesome. They, yeah, they did. I did. And now I live in Point Loma here in San Diego, so I look down on Miramar Airport. Literally, I can see it right now, and uh, the cemetery is to my right. And so when they were filming, the F-18s were flying over my head. Wow. Well, I actually uh, just booked a trip to go out to San Diego in August. I've never, I've never actually been out there, but I've heard, I've heard great things. So anyway, this is a pitch for San Diego. It's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's uh, that's the podcast. We're we're, we're, right. we're signing out with that. Um, so so you've you've had this you know incredibly varied background. Is this the first company that you founded? No, I, I had uh, a I literally had a makeup and fashion company, um, and we were selling to QVC the, to the 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 TV shopping network. And it's kind of interesting because the commonality between that and later on, I had a real estate brokerage. I was a broker and an owner of the company. Uh, and uh, and we did land development here in California, in San Diego, but also in Turkey. Um, but the commonality of of taking an aircraft part or a part of the space shuttle and simulate takeoff or launch, uh, re-entry or landing, um, and verifying that that part would sustain and survive and do that multiple times, uh, that's what I did for FAA and and, and also for NASA. Um, and in that instance, I replicated something that was built here. I, I knew what the, the forces and the, 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 uh, the stresses uh, on re-entry, takeoff, or landing were. I built a system that replicated that. And in land development, that's very similar. You know, you have a piece of raw land. You have a vision of what you want to put on that, and, and then you build it. Um, same with, with makeup to a certain degree. You have a look before and then you have a look after and you try to make sure that the, the look after is enticing enough for people to buy the product that take you from before to after. And that's very similar to what we do in, now in my new technology. It's this ability to, to replicate something that is in the real world, enhancing it with communication and then taking that into an betterment of those that are using the system. And that's actually kind of what Spark Compass is all about, improving outcomes. If I'm understanding this, the principles um, are essentially these foundational principles could be found across all industries. Um, and you essentially follow this blueprint to be able to create successful organizations, regardless of the industries that you've been working in. Correct. And there's a common denominator in everything. And, and now we're in the space where we finally can actually do something with it. And the common currency across everything that I have done in the past and also everything that we're doing now and we're leveraging now is data. Data, 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 however you say it. That's the ability to, to understand data, the ability to act on data, the ability to use data to change, uh, infer and, and influence, and then recording and retaining the data of what the results were now all of a sudden you have the ability to improve outcomes. And then it doesn't matter what it is, right? Interesting. So how was your experience 
uh, obviously we went through this pandemic here with the past few years. How was it like leading an organization during, uh, you know, such a trying time like that, that put people on your employees, you know, everyone was under stress. How do you lead in such a, such a trying time? Uh, well, thank you for recognizing that. And I think that um, anybody that was in a leadership position that was affected struggled. Uh, and, and we struggled a lot. Uh, we had in end of 2019, we had, we after we started in 2011 and in 2019 we decided we wanted to we had proven that this technology works anywhere uh, so we were focusing on three verticals uh, one was sports sports venues sports teams and sports leagues we had some great contracts in that space right 2019 going into 2020 uh, we'd also done a really powerful uh, project in um, in um, uk with the world's largest healthcare organization the nhs that's something i'd like to talk a little bit about later um, and we had uh, done um, uh, retail, but we had specified retail around airports and shopping mall. The, the, the airports is really a, a glorified shopping mall um, where you have a very captive audience. Uh, but anyway, end of 2019 into 2020, tons of business, contracts being signed, clients that are in contracts, and all of a sudden, doors are shut, completely shut, right? So you go from growth, 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 everything's glorious to nothing. So uh, it put a big strain on, on us. I was unfortunate to, to get the COVID early in, in, the, in the pandemic. Um, I was lucky enough to survive it. I have asthma, but I had some long-term uh, issues for a while. Uh, but we, we looked at what it is that we do. Uh, I built a, a, an infrastructure that is kind of backwards. So most people, would build a, a company and get people involved, get funding, and then build something and hope it works. I did it the backwards. I did it the hard way, and I built a technology that works, endorsed, and, 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 and is driving remarkable results. And then I'm building the team, right? So 2020, everything stops. We're looking at what we're going to do as a business. But also, what happened was that our clients, under the people that we were talking to, were also looking at their business. A sports team that prior to the to the pandemic had been really cocky when we met with them. It's a, it's, it's a team that's in a town in England on the west coast of England up and they play in red. And I can't say I can't say who they are, but <laughs> anybody we might know who that is. And we, we came to them and said, you know, we have the ability to communicate with your fans. And they would then say prior to this uh, this event and say, well, we sell out and we sell out our home stadium any any home game. We don't need to 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 talk to our fans. We always sell out. And we kept saying that, well, that's great. You have 43,000 people in your stadium, but you have 440 million people around the world that are registered as fans of yours. How many of those do you have a relationship with? And they would say, well, we have YouTube and we have Facebook and we have a website. I said, well, how many do you really have a relationship that you can now communicate intelligently with? And of course, the answer was zero. During the pandemic, when all of a sudden, the, when they started playing football again, soccer, um, it was a situation where they then said, well, you know what, there's nobody in the stadium. How are we going to survive as an organization? And all of a sudden, the mantra that we had, we can communicate with the fan wherever they are. We can enhance that moment of time wherever they are, certainly when they're in the stadium, but also when they're not in the stadiums. And the vast majority of your fans, Mr. Team Owner, um, will never come to your stadium let alone the city or the country you're in. So how can you create a relationship with them? That's what we build. 
Uh, so you, you essentially took this traumatic event into your advantage to basically, I don't want to say use it to your advantage. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, that's horrible statement. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty terrible to say. <laughs> However, it is essentially, it created, you know, it validated your technology and it allowed it to actually, it increases the market that was available to it. Absolutely. And it got people to start thinking, you know, everybody was, it was such a beautiful uphill. Everybody was doing phenomenal. In 2019, you know, everything was beautiful. So nobody really had to and didn't want to shake the, cart, uh, the, 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 the goose. Now they had to take pause and really look at what it is that we're going to do. How can we grow? How can we extend our dependencies? And how can we really extend our reach in and using data intelligently? And that's what we do. With this data, are they able to own it? Let's say the organization wants to reach out to other fans. Do they own this data you're collecting? From, from the fans and whatnot? So, so that's, a, that's a very loaded question, and it's a difficult answer, right? So we're going to do it as, uh, as what we have experienced. Everybody wants to own their own data, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously. That's, that's, that's this first, first step. And then you say, well, are you sure you want to own the data? And do you really understand the, 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 the conditions that you now have to operate under? Do you understand the safeguards that you have? Do you understand the risk that you have in case you do something wrong? And do you, do you understand the exposure that you have if something goes wrong? Do you really truly have that infrastructure in place to monitor this and ensure that the data is stored correctly and it's not abused and you don't get hacked? Because if you get hacked, if it is abused, if you're not in compliance with GDPR, the agencies, the governments, and the lawsuits will come to you. So are you sure you want to own the data, Mr. Customer? Right? And then they always would say, hmm... Yeah, well, okay. Well, I see that. That could be a concern. So what we do as an alternative is that we say that you're the only one that are allowed to utilize the data, right? So it's ownership versus usage. And if you use the data, and that's what we enable. We collect the data, we, but we enable communication to occur on the data. Therefore, it is intelligent usage of the data. And then we would agree with the customer if they want to hold and be owner of the data, they have to comply with all the rules and regulations associated with it, or we can take on that burden and enable that on their behalf. So it's a risk-free gathering of big data. Yes, that's fantastic. So essentially, they get access to the data and the ability to use it uh, without the liabilities associated with owning the data. Wow, that was perfectly articulated. I need to, <laughs> I need to say it's so short. I don't I have an ability to, to say it for a long time, and you said it succinctly. Exactly. Well, that's that's exciting. So, is there anything else Spark Compass related you would like to talk about for, uh, in regards to the services that you provide? Well, it's it's really this common denominator of of understanding real world context, real world context. Who is working and who is doing what, and what are they doing on a connected device? That's just a mobile phone, a mobile phone or a tablet or a wearable. We we work on any wearables, you know, smartphones, uh, Alexa speakers. That understanding of context, contextual awareness, is then communicated to a centralized computation device. And we're going to talk about that gap between the data sensor, the contextual awareness, with a centralized computation device that requires a communication. And then that centralized computation device is connected to to knowledge, the user's um, profile, likes, dislikes, information about the location, information about the events and actions that are happening at that location at that specific time, and then whatever the user is undertaking at that moment of time. So the system will then combine contextual awareness with knowledge to serve up what's 
predictably useful for that person at that very moment of time. So that's a communication from the platform to the end user. And then the system will automatically record and retain, did that desire, did that information, that offer, that, that unlocking of content or unlocking of venues, did that dis deliver the desired result or not? And if it did, that's a successful transaction communication. If it didn't, we'll learn from it. That process that I just described is contextually intelligent communication, and that's one of our patents. So then all of a sudden, we can segue into these two gaps of, of sensor data, communication from devices, that we need to have the ability to collect the data. Then we have, have to have the ability to communicate to those devices the information that is relevant to that person, that device, that environment at that very moment of time. Yes, and uh, the how about the, the front end of things? So the UI or the ability for, for people to look at, I guess, what this data is doing. Is that something that, that you all also do? So we, we do this, yeah. We, we, we build apps as well. We, our apps are an interface into the platform. So they're a UI. They're not just an app as such. They're actually an extension into the ecosystem. And again, you have the profiles, you have the information, data, you have the location, the activity of the user. And we combine those two then into, a, into an app that can be ours. We can build it on behalf of the customer. Uh, or we can integrate with an SDK or API uh, into others' apps. Because, again, typically, uh, we as Spark Compass are sitting in the background. Nobody needs to see us. We are working with our customers and enabling them to communicate with their customers. So it's a B2B2C model. Yes, you're facilitating the... Uh... The process exactly so then the use cases are and and the and the user interface in that app is completely different whether you're in a zoo or whether you are in an airport or whether you are a patient or whether you are your janitorial staff member working at a convention center but the mechanisms are the same right so presenting that information whether it is about the uh, the pandas or whether it is about the, the uh, queues in TSA or whether it is which restaurant to go clean, right? It, it's the same mechanism of delivering the data. It just has to have an interface that can do so efficiently. Mm. So does an end customer come to you and say, hey, we're, we're having you know, this, is, this issue and you recommend a solution tailored to that? Or do they have essentially something already in mind? How, do, how does that process work? Well, in the beginning, it was only us identifying this because this hadn't been done before, right? This is a brand new way of communicating. And we still have a little bit of that uh, because uh, this is not widely used, right? We've deployed it and we activated it and we showcased it in a variety of source, uh, places. But it's still that element of making your smartphone intelligence, right? We are all used to apps that you have to start and you have to activate in order to have something happen. And the majority of the apps that we do are, are dumb. They're just sitting there and wasting space on your phone and you never use them, right? This is an intelligent system which adapts to you and adapts to what you're doing in the physical world rather than just in the app or just online. What about, like, I guess, power constraints related to devices and whatnot? I guess if you're always capturing information, isn't there some, some drain on that? Yeah, absolutely, and that's why we don't do that. And that's a really, that's a very important element, right? Because if you're always looking at, at capturing, you can say that's a male tracking and, and being, uh, you know, spying on people, right? So our system is an event-based system. So, so we record the interaction that are part of our ecosystem. So if you're a fan of a football team, 
um, and you are at that football club and you're interacting with, with a match, that's great, we know you're there. We know when you leave that element and there might be a bar around the corner that is part of the system that would like to welcome you to celebrate the win. Uh, or, or drink your, uh, or drown your sorrows if you want. <laughs> right? um, and and so we're we're not tracking the person in between. We're mapping when they're interacting with something that is part of our ecosystem. And so therefore, while the data records are enormous, and and it's worth mentioning a, a, a use case there, um, the data sets are important and and valuable, but they're restricted to interactions where there is something that we can enhance. So we're not going to look at wherever you go. It's within our ecosystem that's activated, and that's why it's important, and that's why we can ensure benefits. How is that uh, defined? Yeah, that's cool, right? So in, in our platform, we have the ability to activate locations, right? So we have what's called a geofence. So this is kind of cool. The platform is, is built and operational, and within it, we have a different layers of interactions that we can activate. Um, geofences are something that can be activated anywhere in the world. It is a inside the app, inside the platform, you basically go to a to a location and you can type in an address. It will drop a location pin. That means that that location is now activated. Then on the screen, you can draw an outline around it, say the parking lot outside a, uh, outside a grocery store. And then when somebody walks through that interface, that virtual digital map, that digital area, the system will record that as an event, right? So, so now we know, and then we can welcome you inside and we can have relevant information. You might like something, uh, Sarah likes something different, I like something different again, we're at different age points. So our offers are tailored to our profiles, but you can also tailor to what time of the day it is and what day of the week it is, and also what kind of campaigns that organization is doing and or the campaigns that they are selling access to into this ecosystem. So Coca-Cola would like to, to sell me a new energy drink. I need that. Uh, you're both fit people, so it's going to enable you to have your, uh, your recovery uh, hydration system. And again, the same ecosystem deliver a, a differentiation between all of us. Oh, interesting. So does the user get to uh, set those parameters or I guess it depends on, on the, the use case? It, it does, right? And so some, some people will say, oh, I would never share my information. And that's, that's very true in many instances. But in this instance, remember, we're not the enabler of the interaction. It's an interaction between you and a, a team or an organization that you have a trusted relationship with. And you're going to get something. So if you were not given uh, your gender and not giving your size, how could you get a jersey that commemorates that uh, Masala scored his 50th goal of the season? Actually, that would be Holland, wouldn't it? Anyway, uh, <laughs> right? That, that's where the personalization comes in. And again, we are the mindset that we believe of asking. We believe of showing why we're doing things rather than the, the uh, kind of uh, sniffing and, and uh, trying to infer, we really truly are the ones that are asking and enabling with the benefit. We call this data with a purpose. Well, Eric, you have me convinced here for sure. <laughs> Thank you, mate. So uh, you mentioned a few verticals, uh, sports, healthcare, 
retail, uh, but I know y'all are pursuing some other ones, transportation hubs, agriculture. Can you, uh, how did you settle on these industries? Uh, was there a specific need that, that they had un, unfulfilled or anything like that? It, it comes where, where you know, it's, it's been a kind of a crazy ride because um, as people are understanding what this capability does, they come to us. So in the, in the space of agriculture and, and um, understanding um, proof of, orig of origin of a product, right? This could be whether it is a, a, a string bean that's growing in Mexico that is being sold to and through to, to, to Walmart, or if it's beef uh, that is uh, cattle that is producing beef in Serbia, where actually they have a problem because um, the Serbian beef is wild. They're 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 open. They're not in in, in bins, so they're actually out in the fields, uh, and they don't use any steroids. So it's a very premium beef. Now and so so selling a premium steak from uh, from Serbia, we learned from the agricultural department that that has an in increased price tag throughout Europe. But what had happened was that a series of people were able to buy cheap cattle from from uh, Argentina, import it, and actually process it in Serbia. And within that uh, experience could claim legally that they were Serbian beef because they've been processed. But that's not really the essence, right? That's, so that's where the government came to us and said, we want to have an ability to prove origin, right? So then, then that data sets of that interaction with that cattle can now be carried forward with that process, that logistics, as we talked about, uh, and that's where the platform Spark Compass makes sense because we can have low-cost interface. It could be a QR code. It could be NFCs. And, of course, all the data can be stored on a distributed ledger system like a blockchain. So now it could be enabled every step of that journey to be activated with our system and the event data stored in the system. Yes. So you're putting opportunistic uh, entrepreneurs uh, out of business here. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. We, we enable. This is a this true. is a tool set. Pardon me. This is a tool set that they can use. Right. We love to work with smart people, and most people are way smarter than I am. And the idea is that again, this is an ecosystem that we spend long millions of dollars to build, and it is something that is easy to operate. Uh, at Ole Miss, there's interns that were using this ecosystem to increase attendance by twenty one percent across the sporting events. Oh, no, that's great. That's, that's great. Right? See, really cool. Yeah. And it's, so, so it's built. So now we can deploy. So, yes, for all of the people out there that have great ideas, this is an SDK. It's tested. It's deployed. We are validated and endorsed by Google and AWS and IBM. And we have tools that can enable you to fast-track your business use case and activate that. That's what this is powerful. So now all of a sudden, we built an ecosystem. We're looking and we are working with partners and enablers of these kind of ecosystems where sensors, communication, actions, AI, and outcomes can be combined. Yes, and it seems to streamline a lot of processes as well. It could really, you know, we've been having some issues with supply chain and whatnot, uh, the ability to make sure that everything is documented. Proceeding through the process of that is, is obviously pretty important as, as we continue down, you know, globalization and, and all those sorts of things. Absolutely. You know, and, and this is where, you know, everybody's talking about uh, AI. People are scared of that AI. And we like to say it this way. Um, AI uh, in the typical nomenclature means artificial intelligence artificial meaning that it's going to replace somebody, 
right? So that's the intent. It's artificial, it's, it's, it's operating by itself. Our AI is what we call augmented intelligence. It's an ecosystem that helps you and I do better, right? It's a system that can enable better results. And so augmented intelligence is what we provide. This is a toolkit for humans to do better, verifiably, more, and more effectively. And that's where the future goes in my mind. Yeah, that's what we can hope for, for sure. So how important is network connectivity for, for delivering on these uh, services that, that Spark Compass provides? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really cool, and that's where we're going to go back into to why we're talking today, right? So the ability to, to talk to the masses, well, then you have to have a public network. But in a public network, that in a, in a, in a crowded environment, that can become a challenge for our systems, our systems that are business critical, uh, because, again, we have that, that um, commerce and the enterprise component of it. So while we're talking to the end users, individuals, well, maybe that will be on the public network or Wi-Fi. But when we have devices that we want to ensure that are active, whether that is a sensor system like we do at the Olympic Training Center, um, where, where we're going to activate an entire environment where there's a lot of people, but our devices that are dedicated on our system that's programmed and collecting data across, they need to be connected at all times. So that's why a, a, a dedicated network makes sense because we want to make sure that regardless of how many people are there, we, we um, ensure that it's there. Um, and also, of course, when we're talking in environments where we have a lot of connectivities that are dedicated for a purpose, um, we want to have that under one umbrella that we can control. And, and yes, we love the big telcos, but they typically like to, to charge per device. And in our environments, when we have a lot of devices uh, deployed, um, you know, this is an economic play as well. So it's benefits, it's security, it's, uh, and of course, that's your secure on your own network. Uh, it's ensuring that you have throughputs and communication at all times. And then there's the economic benefit as well. So, for example, you have a, a large stadium. In the stadium, you have essentially all the fans, the thousands of fans are on the same network. Well, traditionally, all these fans are on the same network as your point of sale service. The difference would be with a private network, you can have the fans on the public network and then have Spark Compass, you know, for instance, working with all the point of sale service and operations of the, of the facility itself, of the stadium itself. Uh, so that they can gain the benefits of your application and make sure that all their uh, operations are running. That's absolutely, that's, that's, that's an easy one, right? That's a POI system. And now all of a sudden you can take and extend those POI systems, not just behind the counter, but you can put it in people's hands. You've seen those working, but sometimes they are having a hard time connecting. We've also seen the, um, the Surface tablets on the sidelines in a, NFL games, right? They have a problem. And I shouldn't say this, but anyway, there, there, there might be a situation where a dedicated device needs to have connectivity at all times, right? So we can do it in, in, in places where it's not just for the infrastructure, it's for those that are doing something in that infrastructure. But also, um, let's go now into a premium suite, right? In a premium suite, our technology can enable somebody to have an AR overlay of what happened on the field. You can get the stats from the different players. That takes a lot of bandwidth. Right? So in order to, to deliver that, you have to have a dedicated device on our network, our network being our private 5G network. Um, uh, or you can have a reverse angle. You can have a specific HoloLens experience where you can overlay or you can do a, a 360 VR experience where you immerse yourself into a specific location. All of those 
experiences requires a bandwidth and a, a, a true throughput of contents and data. And that's where this ecosystem makes a lot of sense, where we can enhance that public environment, right? Yes, absolutely. I, I've, I've heard that you all are going to be participating in our 5G demonstration at the big 5G event here in Austin. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the solutions that you all be uh, showcasing here? Yeah, it's, it's going to be, you know, focusing on, since we're 5G, it's going to be focusing on that we have devices that are connected exclusively on the, on the private network. And we're going to show a little bit of a of an experience in an app interface, but more importantly, in my mind, uh, we're going to show that that interaction that occurs on that app interface is communicated to our platform that's in the cloud, and we can show that live, right? So we can show that there's a connectivity between a device and our platform. We can show that platform live, and we can show the amount of data that we collect. That is absolutely astronomical. And so, so the end user experience, right? You know, the, how much can you activate there? We'll have some cool AR games and some, some, some fun little things. But it's all the essence is to figure out that and verify that devices of any type are connected on a private network and they deliver throughput. And, and, and of course, our partner GXC is going to showcase that that's possible there and then. And that's where the power comes in. It's it's live. It's it's active. It's easy to set up. I shouldn't say it's easy to set up because you know that that, that <laughs> don't tell the engineers that. No, no, exactly. And I I, <laughs> I, I I do that with my developers all the time. I say, oh yeah, no problem. Well, you know, work is required, but it's not like you have to go back to reinvent the wheel. That's right. The, the, it, it exists in today's uh, landscape. It's just done in a in a in a different manner. It's a different business model um, that allows uh, you know for these same use cases where you can. Own the you know you can have all your your own network your own dedicated uh, circuits and whatnot and have the ability to have a consistent throughput uh, and latency for your application so that that you can gain the benefits of it. That's right, and you can ensure that your business critical, not necessarily mission critical, but business critical enterprise solutions will work regardless of the massive influx of people, uh, and you know. Not only stadiums, but any type of venue which is large, where the cell towers from the telcos might not necessarily be deployed. We're doing this at a, it's a public uh, announcement coming out with an Olympic training site where, where Spark Compass is activating an entire 155-acre Olympic training site. This is really cool. Right? So, so now being able to have then a dedicated network with wearables and cameras and sleep sensor and so forth are always connected. All of a sudden, you have that ability to take an environment and, and sensorize it, have a complete understanding of the environment, and then you put an athlete inside of that who's trying to learn how to perform ultimately in a competition. And so now we can record all the steps that they do in order to train and then all the way into the, to the competition and then measure and, and retain information about the recovery so that they can do this again so that when they are compete, they are, are at the ultimate performance. Yes, yes. Eric, your, your Norwegian uh, Olympic athletes aren't going to have access to this. Well, they are. Actually, this is, a, this is an Olympic training center that's open for anybody. This ah, is really cool. Yes. So, so, and this is a little bit of a secret, but not really. Uh, so a, a national team from the country in South America that starts with B uh, trains there, right? And this is one of the big soccer teams, football teams in the world have been on this facility. My Norwegian friends have been there and trained. They have a private lake. It's, it's, it's a gorgeous place. Oh, the, the crew team. The crew team, right? 
so and of course we have uh, I don't know if you know this but in, in Norway uh, we have the world champions and Olympic champions in sand or beach volleyball and I like to I like to say the reason why we we do that and why we're so good is that we usually play volleyball in the snow so sand is easy yes right yeah anything anything after that is 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 easy Aren't they also great at uh, what's that sport where they, they ski around like cross country ski and shoot? Uh, yes, we are champions in that. And actually, there's one of my family members, Bjorntegoid, uh, is one of the world world's best in that field. Um, and yeah, this is that's an insane sport. Can you imagine running as crazy for for miles on skis and then laying down and trying to hit a target way too far away on a tiny little target? They do it. So. Bringing things back here, I know I've 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 sent us on a wild goose chase here. But how does uh, how is Spark Compass going to go to market? Are, are y'all generally working direct uh, with end customers, or do you work through partners? Uh, how, how do y'all usually do your business? So so we do both. Uh, we have uh, we have for the last eleven years proven that this works. This platform and this methodology works in a variety of verticals uh, on a global basis, right? So but we're a small company, so so we have some. Big partners um, on the on the um, space of deploying. We are we work with system integrator partners. We have a, a agreement with HCL, CGI, DXC, and Autos, where their infrastructure can help deploy. So so that's a, a way to be able to once we sell, we can deploy anywhere in the world uh, with their systems. Um, we we have a, a series of use cases that have been proven. So we have endorsement and partnerships with um, Google Cloud, uh, with AWS and IBM, where they are interested in reselling our platform and make introductions because, again, part of that includes their services that they sell, right? Uh, and then, of course, we also have uh, customers in, in, in sports federations that are now tearing it down. We have the, I talked about the Olympic Training Center in San Diego. Uh, we have um, U.S. government and other, other governments that are looking at this as an activation of, of certain areas, smart cities, um, uh, smaller complexes. Um, and, and really, it's quite amazing. Um, once people understand what we do, we're not selling. We are showing. And it's going to be a crazy ride here to deploy uh, across the world, literally across the world. Yeah, that's a, that's exciting. You can, uh, I mean, you could hear it in in the manner in which you you know you talk about it. Obviously, uh, you have a great belief in it, and and, and uh, you know the results speak for themselves. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, this has been a uh, wild race, uh, wild ride. I, I like to say that I'm living a living a dream here, and it's true. I'm living a dream. I've, uh, this is my purpose in life. Uh, I've been at this for eleven years. It's been rough. It's been exciting, um, but never boring, never a dull day, and so. The future is here, and the the ability to connect the future with intelligent data sets, uh, having an operating system uh, like this, the operating system for the real world, and when you can have dedicated connectivity on mission or, or business critical devices, and you can still communicate with the the masses, that's where this partnership that we're talking about today is a perfect alliance, and and go to market strategy where everybody benefits. Customer benefits, uh, the system integrators benefit, the device manufacturer, the connectivity people, we as a platform, but ultimately our clients are benefiting because they can prove that they have a better result. And, and we do this. We say that it's, uh, we can improve ROI. ROI people are always talking about 
um, uh, return of investment. Our ROI is something different. That's results of implementation. The results of our implementation is really powerful and that's verifiable and proving and it's live and it works. It's really cool. Nice, nice. Well, hey, Eric, we, uh, we're a big fan of y'all's. We're excited to work with you and, um, you know, best of luck with everything in the future. It's, it's going to be exciting. Thank you. Well, we're going to have a fun time and hopefully uh, we will see a lot of you down in uh, Austin next week. And I understand there's going to be some cool finger licking barbecue. Uh, so right. we're going we're gonna to have a good time. And, and this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Now we start the future and the future is clear. Let's rock and roll and have some fun. Yes, sir. Where can uh, people learn more about Spark Compass or, or get in touch? Well, we have sparkcompass.com, uh, the website, uh, and uh, maybe you can put up my, my email. People can contact us. We're on LinkedIn. I have, I have 12,000 really close friends on LinkedIn, so uh, hopefully I can meet you as, as well and uh, become a close friend there as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, we're easy to find. And, and of course, we are keen to work with anybody. We, we like ideas. We like to do new things. And our mantra is that we build maps. Oh, maps. Some people are talking about how to go to market and they talk about min, m, I, MVP, minimal viable products. Instead, what we create is what we call a map. A map is a maximum awesome product. That's what we launch with, map, maximum awesome product. I like it. I like it. Well, Eric, it's been a pleasure. Looking forward to meeting you next week and, and have, a, have a good one. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at GXC's Monday Meshup. Be sure to stay tuned for more conversations.